Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Hello, I'm Connor Faulkner and this is Driving Life. Welcome to episode 13, where I have a chat with the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Alison Gilliland. She tells us how you get to be Lord Mayor and what you actually do while in office. And we talk too about her own background, her thoughts on the housing crisis and what's being done at street level to improve the city. You can check out previous episodes where we meet people like Shane Ross, Teresa Mannion, George Hook, Frankie Sheehan, Nuala Carey and others. Names you'll know and some you won't have met. It's all there on seniortimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. Just Google Driving Life with Connor Faulkner and you can email me at connorfaulkner at gmail.com. But now let's go and meet the Lord Mayor of Dublin. Lord Mayor Alison Gilliland, thank you very much for, for chatting to me. Not at all, Connor. Lovely to be with you this morning. Excellent. And I wonder, did I get that right? How exactly are you formally meant to address Dublin's Lord Mayor? It's Lord Mayor Alison Gilliland. And Lord then Mayor everybody Alison. calls me Lord Mayor, which is basically yeah. the protocol as opposed to calling me Alison. Yeah, well, there you go. It's one of those kind of nice, um, in a way, sort of uh, quirky cultural things that has a certain dignity to it, doesn't it? And, and, Absolutely, and that's Lord- yeah. It's the the honour and the privilege of it, I suppose. And the fact that it's Lord Mayor and not Mayor gives it that little added something. So there's the Lord Mayor, Belfast, Cork and Dublin. So there's three Lord Mayors in the city. The rest are either mayors or coherlocks. Yeah. Um, And it's an office that goes a long way back. I mean, there have been over 300 of them. You're you're about you're the 10th female. Is that right? I'm the 10th female in 353. But I think I sort of counted from 1939 when the first female, Catherine Clark, was elected Lord Mayor. So the 10th in the last 80 years. And I suppose... When, when you look at the last 80 years uh, and I suppose the strides that women have made, it's uh, still some way to go with regard to a little bit of gender balance. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, although maybe it's correcting. I mean, uh, you, you don't become Lord Mayor unless you're first a councillor. And if I know one thing about councillors, uh, it really is a vocational activity, uh, isn't it? I mean, it takes so much of your time. It, it does. And you're right. You, you have to be a, a councillor to be elected by your peers. Uh, and we tend to elect every year. So th- that's the first hurdle to get over. And it is, you know, most of us double job. You have your full time job and then you do your councillor role. And both are quite onerous. And I think over the years, the role of the councillor is becoming more and more detailed and complicated. The amount of reading and documents we have to do, uh, not necessarily matched by decision making or autonomous powers but uh, there's a lot of detail in the work we do particularly Mm. when it comes to a city like Dublin. Yeah, I know that for a fact because uh, I mean, at one stage I was on the the transport committee, uh, the transport S- SPC, um, and like you say, an awful lot of detail. It was a great conduit to get a good information from the city executives, um, but in terms of the power you wielded, I mean, there was none, literally. <laughs> um, perhaps modestly more for the councillors, but but we don't have a, a directly elected mayor, and we don't have a, a local government system that gives that office teeth, do we? 
No, we don't. We, we, we don't have a system that actually gives the local authority teeth. Mm. Uh, it doesn't have autonomy. It has no real decision making powers. The capacity is very much dictated by the customs house. And I think that's one of the really frustrating things for councillors mm-hmm. is that we're so dependent on grants. Uh, we do have commercial rates that raises significant amount of money. Uh, but everything else is very much comes down from central government. And you almost have to go, I won't say with the begging bowl, yeah. but like for, for big capital projects and even for our housing projects, it's all applications into central government we'd like to do this and then it's the back and forwards can you reduce your costs on this you know and we have a particular vision particularly for for sustainable development like we want to build it well of the highest quality we want to build it for the future but when there's a a lens that is sort of looking at the costs and how we could reduce costs quality sometimes and ambition is sometimes compromised it is for sure. And long-term thinking is sometimes compromised in multi-annual projects. Uh, so here we are with this imperfect system. And I guess, you know, we're all kind of trying to do our best with it. Um, Dublin collectively has maybe done some things right, but some things badly wrong. And, and I know that you're really active on housing. That's kind of your passion. And you're involved in the housing yeah. committee. Um, and if you ask anybody what Ireland Inc. is getting wrong at the moment, um, you know, it, it is housing. Um, so what's the simple answer to, to the idiot's question, which is why don't we go and build them? You know, that piece yeah. of land there, that piece of land there, build them. Absolutely, Connor. Unfortunately, there's no simple answer and build them is absolutely the the big answer to it. The question is, why aren't we building fast enough? What's holding up the building? I suppose from from a social housing perspective, which is Dublin City Council's main remit, it is that application process back and forward. It's what we call the four-stage process Mm -hmm. uh, between ourselves and um, the Department of Housing. Uh, Our architects will put you know, a draft plan together, we have to go and do a viability study, like a viability study for social housing. Like it sounds crazy when we've got 20,000 people on our housing waiting list. Of course it's viable. Um, But then the whole cost implications, the design implications come in. Now I do welcome the minister has um, published a a template for a design template. So that should take some of the the back and forth with regard to design out of the, the, I suppose, complications. But then there's the funding, the costs. Then we have to go out and tender. And a lot of the time we initially tender for the architects, so to design it. Then when the architects have that done and we take it through planning, we then have to go and tender for build. So there's a, and t- the tendering yeah. process takes a long time as well. So I, 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 I can imagine people just wince at, at, at how long this entire process, uh, how long this entire process takes. So it, it, there's certainly a frustration. I mean, an observation I've made, and I don't, we're probably roughly the similar vintage. But um, wh- when I moved out of home first, in uh, I was born and raised in Dublin. When I moved out of home first, it was into a bed sit in Ranelagh, and uh, you know it was a, a pretty grotty affair, perhaps, but um, but it was cheap and it was there um, and I think taking the bedsit stock out of housing availability in the city it sort of let perfectly the enemy of good didn't it because you know you can academically agree I won't have bad housing I only want good housing uh, and then your good intentions mean mean that there just isn't availability 
Yeah, and, and it was a very good intention. It was, I suppose, to up the standard of housing. But the, the irony of us, we now have studio apartments, which aren't dissimilar to, to bedsits <laughs> with regard to size. But what we didn't put in place back then was a parallel plan to increase housing stock when you're taking all these bed sits out and we do what we call conversions of two into one in mm. some of our older complexes where we get two bed sits and we put them into one one bed apartment there wasn't that parallel plan to e- even keep yeah. the stock at this at the same level so th- yeah. that is an issue uh, you know, good, uh, good, good, good plans and unintended consequences, or good ideas and unintended consequences. It's been a bit of a curse on this city, really. Um, anyway, it is still a wonderful city. I mean, I'm born and raised here, very, very proud uh, to, to to be a dub. And um, you, I think, were born up in Monaghan or some somewhere. Very, yeah, very I, I was born up in Monaghan, um, a little town called Bally Bay. And I actually came to Dublin the first time when I was 16. I went to boarding school here, an all-Irish boarding school. Yeah. And we were allowed home once every six weeks. And then Mm. when I went to college, I actually told my parents the same rules applied because I knew what they were asking. I trained trained to be a teacher. So their idea was, oh, we'll get her home. You know, she'll teach in the local school, uh, marry her off to a local farmer. Not that there's anything wrong with farmers. (laughs) But uh, yeah, no, I I love Dublin. I've always loved Dublin. It is a great place, great people. And it's the people that makes Dublin. It's the culture. The crack and and that's something we really have to preserve. Something I, as Lord Mayor, very conscious of. Yeah, and you've been Lord Mayor since June of of last year. S- strange time for it to happen, uh, Alison. Because I mean, exactly what you say about Dublin. The reason why it's such a, a, a popular city internationally is nothing to do with our architecture or our built heritage or or you know anything like. It's certainly not the weather. It's the personality that that Dublin has, and that it's a very business friendly city. It's quite a cosmopolitan city, and it also is um, a, a, a nighttime city, a crack city. Uh, all of that mortally wounded in, in, in the last couple of years. Um, how, how do we recover? How do we start to turn that light back on? Yeah, I, I, I think COVID really highlighted uh, some of the misdirections that we have had in the city, particularly with regard to that concentration in the city centre of workplaces to the detriment of building up more spaces for residential living. And when that footfall left the city during the pandemic, and particularly lockdown, it did expose how few people actually wandered around within the city and are are, are living in the city and the hospitality industry I think as we all know took the biggest hit and we've Mm. seen that like there's restaurants here and cafes that haven't opened Uh, and we we know that there's a lot of retail that we lost particularly the the big UK flagships I don't think I've Mm. ever seen as many vacancy at commercial street level in Grafton Street ever before well not since the 80s I mean mean, literally I remember wandering Grafton Street in the 80s during the 80s and it was a desperately depressing sight and and here here we are again traveling with expressway and your free travel pass is made easier with a reserved seat when booking journeys at expressway.ie make sure to select seat only reservation free travel scheme and pay just two euro per trip to guarantee your seat bookings can also be made from ticket machines in stations and priority boarding will be given to those who book in advance 
Travel without a booking is still more than welcome, if you prefer, provided we have space on board. Take it easy with your free travel pass and expressway.ie. Think you're not smart enough to own a smartphone? Well, think again and think Doro. Doro phones are designed specially with the older person in mind. They're easy to use with louder sound and larger text. Plus numerous state-of-the-art features that don't compromise on performance or quality. To learn more about the full range of high-tech Doro phones, visit doro.ie. Doro phones. Make friends with innovation. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit the website at seniortimes.ie and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash senior times. What can a Lord Mayor do? You know, Bob, Bob waving a flag yeah. and, and, and promoting. But what can no, a Lord what, Mayor do to kick us on? I suppose there's two levels. There is the promotion bit. And I suppose I'm very conscious that we need to make Dublin a family friendly livable city, accessible, easy to move around. So we had our big promotion in the summer called We Can Dublin Again. And that was very much encouraging families, come in for your coffee, come in and uh, have a drink, come in to the shops, come into the various cultural activities. Uh, And we did a trial here next door with the Round Room. Uh, We had an exhibition in there uh, on the 200 years of of the Mansion House. And we kept that open to eight o'clock in the evening very conscious that if you're working remotely out out in whether it be Rahini or Ranala that yeah. you know by the time you come into the city it'll be six o'clock and that's the time uh, generally a lot of our cultural uh, institutes close mm. so that was kept open to eight with the expressive intention saying to families listen there's stuff open yeah. and I think I'm very much trying to focus in on what Dublin can do for families and can be for families and those experiences. We're doing an animation project down in Smithfield. That square there needs a little bit of colour and a little bit of green. So we're focusing on that this year. And again, just the whole traffic-free streets, increasing cycle lanes to make it more accessible. And I suppose that does have a knock-on impact on car use. Oh, um, jobs. Yeah, yeah. My, my, my old hobby horse, so to speak. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to see how the reduction in the fare come the first, the public transport fares, mm. the first of um, April will have an impact because I think that's really positive because if you're bringing a family of kids and you want kids to grow up using public transport because that's when mm. habits start is early on. If you're bringing three or four kids, like that still is an amount of money for for a family. For sure. So it'll always be a tension, won't it? Because, um, you know, there's the practicality of enabling access to Dublin city centre. And very often that is by private car. Ancestral, older mistakes the city has made. We simply don't have a metro system. We don't have the capacity. So we're very, very car dependent. And we can hate that and say, look, get rid of cars, we'll have a nicer city centre. Um, but in so doing, would affect the vibrancy of the city centre and, and retailers and businesses trying to compete with out-of-town shopping centres. Um, we, we, we just can't 
uh, um, you know, w- wave a wand and have a very pretty city centre. If, if yeah, we don't make cars at all, you're so you're so right. We we held myself and um, the director of office recovery held a vacancy summit before uh, Christmas online, and we brought together as many stakeholders in the city as possible and owners of buildings that are vacant, particularly the the upper floors as well as the commercial floor. And I think our, I suppose mission after that is to make Dublin an experience. You have to, if you want to come into the city centre for retail, as opposed to go to one of the big shopping centres, there has to be an added something else. And that is the experience. So we were actually thrilled when we heard that Lego is coming to Grafton Street because it'd be an amazing experience element uh, associated with that. Mm. We had tried, we had contacted and met with some of the owners of some of the buildings um, asking them, could they let us have the commercial units maybe for six months yeah, for a very a small up, rent? Up sites or yeah, whatever, so yeah. we could experiment, you know, what is it that people want, whether it be local arts and crafts, whether it be drama, whether it be workshops around the circular economy and how you can upcycle, uh, whether it be clothing or furniture, yeah. something like that that would draw people in that could be there at a workshop or some sort of activity so that they're coming from the experience. Yeah. And if you're coming from an experience, you're also going to go into the other shops and into the hospitality. So it, it's, it's a, a better package, I suppose, yeah. uh, for coming into town. Yeah, and, and look, hopefully we, we will uh, get the gradual post-COVID recovery of the world and nighttime economies turning themselves back on in other cities. Um, I was actually away last week. I, I was in Barcelona and, um, you know, it feels as if it has turned back on. Uh, you know, tourists are back. I was one of them. Uh, and, and, you know, their streets were becoming vibrant again. Perhaps not as vibrant as they were before. I've been in Barcelona, but it was much, much busier. Uh, but it feels as if the lights are coming back on. D- does it feel that way in Dublin, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think I think when we had the 8 p.m. Um, sort of closing just before Christmas, it, it did... Um, you know, take people out of the city. But yeah. I have to say, once they took the band-aid off and the, the restrictions were lifted, people have really come back in. We had a concert in the round room on the, the 1st of February. And it was a really emotional concert because yeah. it was the first time people were actually together uh, in such a long time. And I think that realisation that I've been missing live music mm. and live events, uh, it does. And I, I, I see it here living in Dawson street the the activity around the city and it'd be really interesting to see how that space develops with the proposal that we'll have extended opening hours i know that nothing has uh, decided yet but the minister um Minister Catherine Martin is looking at that. And I know the, the hospitality industry are proposing a 5 a.m. closure for nightclubs. And I think that would be good as well for football yeah. so yeah. that you have more activity. Now, obviously, that, that will have to come with public transport, you know, maybe cafes open uh, to take the focus away from just yeah. it being alcohol focused. But, but you know, uh, think, it, it, it could add. Yeah, things like needing public transport, needing open cafes, needing guard the presence, etc. Those are good quality problems to have. Uh, you know, having a vibrant city and managing it is is, is, is so much better uh, as a place to be in than having a moribund city. And, Absolutely. And, and to, 
yeah. Uh, and you live in, of course, you, well, for a year at least, you live in that marvellous apartment in, in the mansion house. I, I've, I've been in it, actually. <laughs> I, I, one of your predecessors is a fellow called Royston Brady. Uh, I don't oh, know how many years ago. Colourful character. Um, and he sort of threw open the doors. I remember the, there was a taxi driver's golf outing um, that he was involved in, and, and I got roped into it, and we all wound up back in, in, in the apartment. An extraordinary thing. A sense of history there, but do you get some fun out of it too? It, it, it's a stunning building. It really, really is. And I suppose what people forget also is that it's a, it's a functioning office. So like yeah. during the day, we're here with meetings and, and the staff have their offices. We have the Oak Room, of course, which is our big reception area. And we held our first event in that on International Women's Day, the first event in two years. Because mm-hmm. um, the ventilation piece is still a requirement. And as you know, that room doesn't have windows. So we had oh, to get nice. uh, the ventilation system functioning. It hasn't been on for a while. So we were a little bit concerned that you might get something <laughs> worse than COVID. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, turned uh, it everybody on. comes down with Legionnaires disease. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we, we would host a lot of community stuff. We, yeah. um, you know, clubs. Uh, International Women's Day was amazing. We had a breakfast and then we had a few seminars here. So, yeah, it is a hive of activity. So it is right, as you say, in the city centre. And then I have the privilege of of living upstairs in the the apartment upstairs. Yeah, and that is a buzz, the constant activity of it. And, you know, the fact that the Lord Mayor's role is, you know, is a a big role in terms of the city's profile. Um, One of the things that the motorist in me is interested in, did you get uh, 22D1 as the registration? numbered and how does that work yeah the protocol is that the the first reg in dublin goes to the lord mayor and um i think it's volvo i should know that shouldn't i (laughs) volvo um give the lord mayor the use of the car for the year for official business now it's not mine yeah, the use of it by the office, um, and the car is very much for the chain because that's the yeah. I'm I'm replaceable. The, the oh, chain you're, you're, really uh, isn't absolutely. You're you're readily replaceable. You're having we had over three hundred Lord Mayors, exactly. um, but, but but there's only one chain. <laughs> only only one chain. Uh, so the the driver is the one that looks after the chain. So if I go to an event, no, I do walk to something that's that's quite near. Mm. Um, here because like you can't justify taking a car out to go up to Dublin Castle. Um, yeah, unless you just want to show off your registration place. Or unless you're coming from something else, you know, and it's yeah, it's yeah. part it's part of it the day. But yeah, it is the sort of iconic registration and then it's sold on, I think, uh, at the end of the year. And so we have a hybrid, it, by the way. Uh, and I'm sure in due course, it'll be full electric. And, and, and I, I would imagine, and, and I suppose mm-hmm. one of the big uh, challenges when you do sort of travel is the charging it. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's one of the challenges as a country we have is to put in all those charging points that enable people to um, yeah. go electric in their car. Yeah, it's it's coming. We will get there. I mean, it's, we're we're certainly learning. Uh, it, it, you know, for very slow learners, we're all starting to appreciate that for all sorts of reasons we can't keep burning oil. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to have to figure something different out. Um. So uh, amid the sort of trappings and ceremony of the Lord Mayor's office, which is, uh, you know, I I sort of smile about it because the child in me would love all of those perks. But uh, as I say, you you have to be a hardworking councillor even to get your hat in the ring, and then you're a Labour councillor, so you. Have yeah. Part of this sort of wonky, but I guess excellent local arrangement of cooperation between parties where they rotate the office. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, the, the, this for this term of office, we have what we call the Dublin Agreement. So it's like a coalition and it's been a fall, the Green Party, the Labour Party and the Social Democrats. So it's a little bit like a coalition at national level and that we all come together and we make an agreement that we work together. And we, we actually have a programme for the term called the Dublin Agreement and what we want to achieve. But then there's the practical bits about, you know, the ceremonial roads, the, the Lord Mayor, the Deputy Lord Mayor. So, you know, the people sat down and then according to the size of the party um, Fianna Fáil have Lord Mayor for two years the Green Party have it for two years and the Labour Party has it for one and right. then the Deputy Lord Mayors um, are divided out similarly so then when it's your and then they decide which year each party yeah. takes it so it was Labour's turn this year so I put my hat in the ring as a candidate internally with the Labour group mm -hmm. to be it so there were two other um candidates as well and we had an election so yeah. then they, the idea is that the other three parties would support the candidate that the Labour group puts forward and I was really lucky in that the entire council supported my candidacy it was the first time ever there was no second nominee for a uh, Lord Mayor so yeah, uh, that was very, very affirming and, and very positive. And I, I think as a council, we work really well together. And I suppose yeah. as a person, I really believe in collaboration and working to get things done as opposed to shouting out on social media about what you want yeah. and what you'd like. It, it's about sitting down, rolling up your sleeves and actually doing the stuff. I, ultimately, it is about the pragmatists, isn't it, who can who can work together and, and, and come to agreements. There's, there's really no point other than for your ideological purity, you know, always looking at the world, filing, finding that it falls short of your perceived utopia and therefore condemning everything about it. And, 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 and finding Get nothing done. And getting nothing done, practical upshot. Um, so if you look at Dublin and, and what it is and what it's achieved, it's what nearly two million people now, depending on how you count it. It, it is an international city. It's, it's you know, on a, lo a lot of people's bucket list as a city break destination and, and it delivers that product's fantastic. Um, some things it's done well, some things it continues to do badly. Uh, I guess transport and housing would be uh, a couple of the major things you'd, you, you'd point to. Um, to me, I also feel that Dublin lacks a bit of an iconic definition view or definition statement. Uh, I remember a Sky cameraman telling me once that he didn't like filming in Dublin because there was nowhere he could point the camera that told everybody looking at it that it was Dublin. Um, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, would you allow us build a, an iconic skyline that heights go up? What are your thoughts on what Dublin should feel like? Yeah, I, I think if you walk up and down the Keys, particularly down down towards the Dublin Bay, we have built a lovely docklands down yeah. there. And, and you know, I, I had the privilege of coming in to the bay on uh, up the river on the Samuel Beckett, the, our naval ship, and it was. Stunning, absolutely stunning. Either side, you've the conference centre, you've Docklands, yeah. The Beckett Bridge itself, yeah. The Beckett Bridge is stunning, and and it's a very useful bridge for our greening and putting colours on. We've the the Ukrainian yeah. flag colours on it at the moment, and they'll stay there. Um, so that entrance into Dublin, I think, if if they could start using that, and as you say, the Beckett Bridge is very iconic. The spire. 
Less so, perhaps, but I do think that view of coming into a city that has a river, and, and maybe you say one of the things we don't do well, we don't use the river well enough, no, we don't, particularly yeah. for sports. Um, I think there could be kayaking on it, there could be paddle boards in up it a lot more, because uh, it, it's a massive resource. And when you look at the health of a city and the health and well-being yeah. of its citizens, it's right there in the middle and sort of goes up the city um, for, for, for the, yeah. its entirety, that it, it's something that we should be using a lot more and promoting a lot more. Yeah, I just it's fresh in my mind because only the other day I flew into Dublin City, as we, you know, we all sometimes do, it, and it happened to be a beautiful, clear day. And the city did look terrific. And not only did it just look terrific, you could see sort of sports facilities, you literally see games of golf going on, games of football going on as a plane came into land. And then if you imagine a, a tourist subsequently then coming in through the airport, going in through the port tunnel and emerging on, on the riverfront yeah. where you see the Aviva Stadium and the Beckett Bridge, uh, it really does feel impressive. Um, and yet at the same time, we don't have enough people living in the city centre, absolutely, it's can't very it. low rise at three or four stories tall, as opposed to eight or nine in other cities. You know, it feels underused in the middle. Well, for for me, the parts that are most underused are the upper floors in, in yeah. some of our buildings. Like I, I look out here, and they're they're staring me straight in the face every yeah. day. Uh, and that's I think when you, when you look particularly at our whole uh, carbon footprint. Mm. and how the embedded carbon in all those buildings, the carbon that we're going to put into new buildings, yes. we really need to be more proactive in reusing buildings. And um, I have a meeting, I think it's next week, with the minister on that very um, issue. And what mm. we would like to see is um, a grant for mm. people who own that. We have the Living City Initiative, which is a tax incentive. Yeah. We've Repair and Lease, which again is a, an interest-free loan. They're not working. They're, they're not a big enough carrot. It also has to be easy, as I mean, sadly, I'm not that rich, but I, I, I don't own a building in Dublin with spare upper floors. But I mean, we, we had, a, when I was in the AA, for my sins, I, I looked after the property portfolio. And we had a couple of um, buildings that we leased in central Dublin. Uh, we had about 300 people working on South William Street, a couple of buildings. Um, and it was very interesting talking to the landlords and engaging. If you own one of those buildings in Dublin, you can't make a great deal of use of the upper floors. It might be very nice to turn them into residential. But if the council comes along and says to you, OK, well, then you have to do this, 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 and you need this energy rating and it needs and you need to put a fire escape in. And it now need and you need to lift it needs to be wheeljacks. Forget about it. I just I cannot do that. I won't try. And Absolutely. that seems to happen in every single building. Yeah, and there there has to be some sort of planning accommodation. And I'm not saying skimping on fire uh, safety yeah. because that is that's one of the biggies as well. But what we found from that uh, seminar we had was that at a council level, we need to join up the dots better so that yeah. when somebody does come to the one stop shop is that there is one person there to greet them and they know absolutely how to do this. And they can take the owner through all the steps, hold their hand. And I think if, we're, if we really want this to happen, we're going to have to put work into it ourselves yes. and make it as easy as possible for our owner. Like even sort of take it and say, listen, we'll do this. We have mm -hmm. templates here. You know, we put a plan together for you. 
give it to you. Uh, here's there's a grant here, and we're aiming for 100k of a grant because that's what we get for the affordable housing fund is 100,000 for a developer to build a house that will go to cost rental or affordable purchase. So I think if we're we're using that level of grant and subsidy for new buildings, we also need it to bring back these into productive use. And it wouldn't be amazing if we could do that even with a hundred of these in the city as a start to generating more activity. To just have people live there. And you know it may not suit it may not suit families you know as the kids get bigger or something but at least there'll be people living there because you're generating footfall on the streets that the city needs so nine months or so into your term Alison how do you feel the city is doing how do you feel you've done on your agenda yeah it's the city is definitely coming back I think we we had a very aggressive public realm um, campaign internally with regard to the look and the feel and the attractiveness of the city. So we now have power washing a couple of times at night, uh, Mm. a week. Um, We're trying, I have a particular focus myself on O'Connell Street to get that more looking like the main capital street. um, Best girl uh, in the world, O'Connell Street's a bit of a disappointing street, isn't it? It, it, it shouldn't it, be. It, it should it, have everything it going for it. Be. it. It should I Now, I've been trying to get um, a tram cafe up there. Now, I have a particular place in mind, but I've been told because of planning and conservation, it can't go there. But it is coming to a space. It won't be the one I want, but um, it is. Also want to get a more permanent police presence up there mm. because there is, you know, th- that whole sense, sense of safety there's a couple of buildings for rent that if we could get people to take them particularly at the either side there of north earl street those two big buildings you know what's your thought what's your thought on a vacant unit uh, tax i know i know david mac williams amongst others was in favor of a very very aggressive vacant unit. Uh, absolutely i i remember it must be about five years ago i had a very comprehensive motion go through council and on it was a vacant unit levy now mm. unfortunately the law and got their hands on it and say we don't have the autonomy to do this but which we don't and again that's one of the the, i suppose the big frustrations about this city i think you need the carrot and the stick and Mm. if we're coming along and saying we can get 100k per unit here to do up upper floors there should be an equally big stick over here that says if you don't do this you know, we're putting a levy on you and it will increase and increase and increase and increase. Yeah. And, well, you know, and the CPO you, thing should also kick in as well or mandatory sale, something. You're exactly right. And I know that things like CPOs, et cetera, are, are very, very legally, even constitutionally difficult. Um, but I mean, if the city's imperative is you, you may not leave a unit there like a broken tooth on one of our streets, yes. uh, we insist that you fix it. Uh, you know, it, it, it seems reasonable in every city in the world to do that. Um, and, and hopefully we can do it in Dublin. And when there's a will, there's a way. Like, and you mentioned sort of the, the fire exit, but if there's three buildings in a row that are vacant, the three owners can get together and do something together. One of them's bound to have this sort of the, mm. the entrance or the access from the street up. And, and again, is if that stick was big enough and, and the incentive was big enough, I think we really could turn things around in the city. 
it does feel to me that um, Dublin is a city that does have a terrific future. And the, the Dublin that I grew up in, you know, which I loved and, you know, but it was, sort of was the dirty old town. I mean, the, the, the Liffey physically stank. The, um, yeah. uh, the, 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 the air. Oh, it was terrible. I mean, the, the, the smog of that period as well, the coal smog. So it well. utterly transformed. It, 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 it's, a, you know, a much, much better place and it's vibrant and it's European and it's dynamic. So so we, we, we sincerely hope that will um, that will continue. In terms of what the local authority does, though, uh, and do, do, do we actually have to change something so that we do have uh, a directly elected mayor that is and a city that is allowed to govern itself rather than one that goes back to central government asking for money all the time? I definitely think the city would benefit from a directly elected mayor. Like I see it myself nine months in. Everything takes time to sort of set in train. So you're only really getting to stuff no. And then you're gone. And it's like, well, if the the Lord Mayor, next Lord Mayor may not carry it on with the same passion. And indeed, sort of management may say, okay, well, you know, it was the Lord Mayor that was pushing that. There's no one pushing, pushing that now. And I'm really lucky that I I work very well with management. And I suppose for the the current system, it's very much based on your powers of persuasion and your idea and being able to sell an idea to it. But I do think down the line, we're going to have to come to a situation where we have more autonomy on how we plan our city, what we prioritize in the city, and that we have fundraising abilities. And like a vacant levy, a vacant site or vacant unit levy would be an ideal one. Mm. Like I'd love to see a bed tax, even if it's 50 cent, and that we can ring fence that for public realm, arts, culture. Yeah. Both- and again, most cities have that when you when you exactly. pay a hotel yeah. bill, there, 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 there's, a, there's a city tax. Um, so some frustrations in there, but some reasons to be optimistic. But uh, but uh, unless somebody actually does put their put their foot on the ball and control things, um, it, it happens in an unplanned way. So you get you get more hotel rooms appearing in the city. Why? Because the big hotel chains have got the capital. They're able to actually take a longer term view, invest in something like the 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 um the one on. Georgia Street there where they've preserved the facade and I think it's going to be a Premier Inn. You know, I'm delighted that they preserved the facade. I'm disappointed it's going to be a Premier Inn. But they're the ones who are able to, you know, no no simple landlord would be able to do that. They have the cash. Uh, So how do we ensure that that big capital flows in the direction that we want it to? And and instead of being encouraged to to build hotels in Dublin City Centre, be encouraged instead to build housing or, or, or even transport artistic of the stuff we need. Well, I, I, I suppose a lot of that comes down to our development plan and we're, we're in the final stages of um, that at the moment. We've had our, our second round of public consultations. Um, we, we've had a round with councillors. We've actually had two rounds with, with councillors with regard to submitting motions. So we're going into a third iteration now in April before we sign off on that. And I suppose we... Our focus is sustainable development and a balance. And I suppose the the build to rent, which is, yes, building housing. But our big concern is that the the rents in build to rent is so high that those who are caught just outside the social housing income threshold don't qualify. And it's really, really difficult for them to rent. They can't save to buy. So they're very much stuck in in that quandary. So, So we want, I suppose, to have 
certain conditions on planning in a in an area so that you mm. do get that balance of for rent for sale social housing cultural spaces um business spaces hotel spaces but that it's not as you say like it's all hotels dominating yeah. one particular area because then you don't get the real authentic Dublin people living in the city, which is they're the ones that make the city. Yeah. And, I, yeah so you're I, losing I, out. Yeah, yeah. And, and and then you see when something like COVID happens, which please God isn't going to be more than once a century, but I mean, it was revealing uh, just how hollow the city centre is when you take out the tourists and take out the businesses and um, you know the remaining footfall and um, just doesn't make it feel like a city and then the streets start to feel menacing instead of vibrant and then the city centre decays so uh, it can happen you know a prosperous city can lose its city centre uh, absolutely and one of the conditions we put into the development plan with regard to hotels is they have to have a space for culture in it and I think that will make them, I suppose, plan in whether it be an arts and crafts, a little shop or a space for drama. And the other criteria we have put in is that if you are demolishing a cultural space, and that includes pubs like the Cobblestone, that yeah, you yeah. have to rebuild it in full, if not give it more space. So we're trying, therefore, to preserve those spaces as yeah. we see new development. But ultimately, you know, we need that in national legislation as yeah. well. And, and, you know, big capital won't mind, like water flowing downhill. If you say, you know, you build your hotel here, provided you this, this, this and this, well, they will. Um, yeah. And they'll see that, you know, they're also creating that cultural vibrancy within the city and contributing to it. And ultimately, they won't have the planning objections that, yeah. you know, hold development up. If, if they do it right and they take our development plan, because for us, our development plan is our Bible. Mm. Uh, we always give out about to the ministers who sort of supersede yeah. our development plan with special planning regulations, the SPPRs. You know, we've seen that mm. in height and we've seen it in um, apartment standards. We take two years to literally go through our development plan. And for somebody to come along and just go, no, nationally, this is what we want. And, you know, when you're trying to design a sustainable city for the citizens first and foremost. And I really, really believe, Connor, if our city works for its citizens and works for Dubliners, it's going to work for business, it's going to work for tourists, it's going to work for international investors. Yeah, I mean, I I, I agree. Uh, there there are rows to come, no doubt. I mean, one one of the ones that I foresee myself is when um, is when bus connects uh, starts to be installed. It's a sort of pet hobby hate uh, hobby hate <laughs> of mine. Um, and for for me, I, I dislike bus connects for a number of reasons. Uh, principally, I think it's just uh, taking the drug one more time and putting off the investment in metro that the system will eventually need to make. I I, I fundamentally see bus connects as a 20-year band-aid, um, which, you know, ultimately will, 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 will do us no good. Um, but I actually think it might do us harm in the interim because, I mean, it's a, it's a vision of bus motorways yeah. pointing into the city centre. And, and, and I think you'd have to hate cars a very, very great deal for that to look in any way attractive. Um, but sadly, it sometimes seems that you know, that's the view of the council. They hate cars that much. They'd nearly rather turn the city into a bus motorway just to spite them. 
Well, well I think I wouldn't blame the council now. The, the one thing we don't have is joined up thinking when it comes to transport. Hmm. Like the, the council manage the roads and the footpaths, but we have very little say in the transport connections that go through it. That's the NTA. And again, going back to directly elected mayor and local authorities that have real power, if we have the transport remit, yes. then, well, had I been a councillor back in the day, that metro would have been built because you're yes. dead right. Look at Rome. Rome is probably one of the most historic cities in the world, yeah. and they have metros. They are veterans. Right. You, 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 can't, you cannot lift a paving slab without finding something priceless. It's, exactly. Yeah, and we don't. And it's an absolute shame to every government that has been in power for the last 30 years that yeah. we don't have one. Madrid has built one. Uh, I mean, well, Dub- Dublin's metro existed on PowerPoint before Madrid even thought about it. Yeah. And in the, in the last 25 years, Madrid have designed, built and opened and are now extending theirs. Mm-hmm. And ours hasn't got beyond the bloody PowerPoint. And in, and in the meantime, have another bus corridor. It seems deeply exasperating. Yeah. Uh, and even the regional cities, I was in Grenada here in the summer where I used to live. They now have an over and underground tram stroke metro like, and that's just a regional city the size of Galway. Yeah, I know. So, you know, it's, we just aren't at the races. And it's, should look at the two Lewis lines. We built two separate Lewis mm. lines and didn't build a connector. Like, and again, it's that ambition. It's, yeah. you know, here's a pot of money, go do what you can with it. And also the election cycle, you know, you can't, yeah. build, well, maybe you could build a metro in five years, you know, if you put your mind to it. Yeah, um, well, we, we, we can build things like the Port Tunnel, which is a magnificent piece of engineering. Uh, I mean, it, it's a test really only of your um, only of your commitment. And I mean, I remember the rouse about the Port Tunnel at the time. Uh, the cost was 750 million euro uh, and loads of people complained that it was disgracefully expensive. It, it looks so cheap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What can a poor Lord Mayor do to change those things? Well, well, I, I suppose you can, you know, continue to promote and push. Ultimately, if if Labour want to influence these things, if anybody in the council wants to influence these things, you eventually have to be in the doll and in government yeah. and actually compel them to happen. And um, but with so many people agreeing on things like a Dublin Metro, you know, you you, you wonder how it hasn't. You do. And <laughs> um, so, what's the future for you? You you will you will be handing back the chain uh, and back the chain the last Monday in June and I go back to being a regular councillor looking <laughs> after uh, my constituents up in uh, our Tame Whitehall and uh, Dublin 17 that's that's my area so yeah, yeah it'll be a bit of a change but uh, you know you do the, the one thing I say about this road is you get to delve under the bonnet of the city mm. and that is fantastic and you really learn to connect uh, with local communities. And do you know what? Everybody w- really wants the same, and that's to live in a really attractive, healthy, accessible space. And everyone loves Dublin, but they yeah. do complain, like as we all do. And I think it, it, it's our responsibility. And I suppose being in the position of Lord Mayor, you have a greater responsibility, but also a greater passion to be able to actually do something uh, about it. So uh, I, I still be me shouting and trying to do things, <laughs> even when I'm not Lord Mayor. I'd probably actually be worse because I now will know more people um, yeah. well, and well, have more of those connections.
Yeah, well, listen, very best of luck with it and uh, honoured indeed um, that, you, that you took the time to have a chat with me. Your, your passion for the city re- really comes through. Uh, so, Alison Gilliland, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Lovely talking to you, Connor. There you go. That's Dublin's Lord Mayor, Alison Gilliland. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed it. Please check out previous episodes where you'll find chats with people like Shane Ross, Teresa Mannion, Ivan Yates, Dermot Bannon and others. It's all there on seniortimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. Just Google Driving Life with Connor Faulkner and you can email me at connorfaulkner at gmail.com. Until next time, drive safely, live happily and come back and see us again. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations.